0: I attended a church where we had some some uh, development of preachers, and uh, I had a heart for developing preachers and um, had talked with Jonathan a little bit about it, but there had just been a time that lapsed, and uh, our WLC was like, hey, like, if we're going to be, you know, having some celebration of women, then what does it look like for women to be trained, and I'm like, Duh, that that makes perfect sense. What am I doing? So we cast the net out to the church and folks responded and uh one of our sisters who's gonna be preaching today responded and you know her very well. You know her because as she reminded me yesterday, she came as an intern about ten years ago. Let's go. So so don't take this personal James, but uh Man, we finally got something good out of all the missions trips. We got something. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, we've been blessed to have people over the years invest in our church. But, um, but, but, but the way in which this sister has poured into many of us uh, has been a great blessing. Not simply uh, her soft spirit that will encourage you and guide you, but the character that she displays, not simply the words that she encourages you from God's word, but the servant heart and posture that she models uh, within this body. And so I would like to ask you to join me in welcoming our sister, Jenny Way.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, It is really joyful to be here. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the time we have to worship the Lord together. Um, so thank you, worship team, for preparing our hearts this morning and just reminding us of God's truth. Um, like Pastor Leon says, said, I'm Ginny, and my husband Johnny and I have been blessed to be a part of this church for several years now and are just so grateful for this community. Um, so let's pray as we um, read God's word. Lord, we thank you um, for who you are, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit that guides us, um, that reminds us of your love for us, and shows us, Lord, how we can um, reflect that love to you and to those around us. Um, so guide us today as we study your word, You your name we pray, amen. So a couple weeks ago, Brian preached from the beginning of Matthew 7 about judging others. And since January, we've been gleaning these lessons from the Sermon on the Mount. In each lesson, we're shown how to live as citizens of God's kingdom. And these are not easy lessons. They go against our natural inclinations and, at times, the wisdom of the world. With these challenging lessons, we must remind ourselves that we cannot achieve them in our own strength. We cannot, for a moment, live up to the standards in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. But when we look back to how Jesus began this sermon, he began with what we call Beatitudes or blessings. And in these blessings, we are reminded that these countercultural lessons are not for us to muster up the strength to achieve. They are for us to acknowledge our brokenness and come before the Lord, acknowledging our dependence on him. Asking him to work through us and in us for his kingdom come. The Christian life is not about trying harder to live up to God's standard, but about learning to run to him with our every worry, wrongdoing, or question. So today we're going to talk about just that, seeking the Lord for every need. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Give good things to those who ask him. So what should we be asking God for? Now, since we were all kids once, uh, we have experience with asking for things. Children ask for good things. Food, attention, warmth, comfort. But we also know sometimes we ask for things that are either bad for us or aren't necessarily what we really need. I remember as a kid one Saturday morning asking one of my parents if we could go to McDonald's. The answer was no. So, I did what many kids throughout history have done, find another adult who can give you the answer you want. If one parent says no, you look for the one that will say yes. Now, I don't know about you, this never worked for me. I I was raised by two lawyers, so I got away with basically nothing, and suffice it to say, I didn't get McDonald's. So, in the verses here, Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. An out-of-context reading would make it seem like we can immediately manifest whatever we want in life by asking God for it. But if you've been alive for much time at all, you know that doesn't happen. We don't always get McDonald's. We know God's character is one that offers us something greater here than just an overly simplistic explanation. What does God give us when we ask, seek, knock? Let's walk through how we can ask the Lord for things in a few different ways. First, in preaching this to his disciples, Jesus was—he'd gathered a crowd and was preaching this sermon. The passage presupposes that we're asking for things that honor God. Jesus is not telling us to ask for anything that contradicts his kingdom or harms another person. Secondly, let's remember what we just read last week, the most direct context for this passage. Um, In Matthew 7, starting in verse 1, it says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Those are big commands, and we all know how hard it is to take the plank out of our own eye first. And it's helpful to see these verses about asking God for what we need in the context of the standard he's asking us to work toward. We need him to live up to it. Are we asking him for his strength to follow his commands, to to not judge our brothers, to take the plank out of our own eye? And then, more broadly, we can look at the serious theme as we study the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Come. Are we asking the Lord for his kingdom to come in our hearts and in the world? What is it in your heart that you know needs the Lord's transformation? Maybe it's your attitude toward a coworker or neighbor. Maybe it's a desire for physical things, whether new clothes or a new car or a new gadget that are affecting your focus and worship of God. When we are tempted, we have the opportunity to talk to God about it. What about in the world? When we think of our neighborhood, how can we pray for God's kingdom to come in the 48214? Let's pray for God to give us an opportunity to connect with that neighbor we've wanted to get to know more. We can ask the Lord to break down barriers that are keeping people from coming to church or getting the practical assistance they need. We can pray for affordable and safe housing in our neighborhood, for stable jobs for those living paycheck to paycheck. May we be praying for those who don't know the redeeming and transforming love of Christ to turn to him and experience salvation in him alone. Prayer changes us and leads us to act. As we pray for his kingdom to come, pray for him to move in our hearts and on our blocks, and let's be ready to move with him. In verses 9 and 10, it says, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Bread and fish in Jesus' time were staple foods, seen as daily provision. Are we asking God for what we need throughout the day, talking to him consistently, depending on him for our basic needs, whether physical, spiritual, or emotional? May God build in us a habit of turning to him in prayer, however brief when we are reminded of our need. Next, let's ask communally. Our prayers change when we look beyond ourselves and our own circumstances. As a church body, there is great joy when we pray for something together and see God provide. Our discipline of prayer during Sunday services has led to great celebration. It also offers community as we wait for God's answer, or as we mourn losing something, we ask God to heal or save. When we pray for and with others, God heals us from our self-centered focus, showing us how he is at work around us and showing us where we can step in and care for one another. Finally, what do we do when we've asked God for something and he hasn't given it to us yet? Or it seems like he's saying no, or he did say no. These verses repeat three actions. Ask, seek, knock. We don't know the exact meaning of one word compared to the other in Jesus' message, but the repetition seems to show that we are supposed to keep at it. It presupposes, in fact, that we don't always get an answer right away. And it seems to show, too, that we are to be intentional and persistent in our asking. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Personally, I had to look up the word impudence. Um, But (laughs) in this passage, impudence is translated shamelessness, hence persistence without regard to time, place, or person. Bold. Okay? Um, (laughs) This story is pretty relatable. I think we've probably all experienced being taken aback by a question that we give an answer we didn't plan. I think we've all experienced just saying yes, because we're caught off guard. (laughs) Like, no is my answer, because that's so ridiculous. But also, sure, fine, because you're so bold, I might as well give you what you asked. You're already at my door. Now, God's heart toward us is compassionate and patient, unlike the characters in this parable. But there's a principle here worth remembering. God takes notice of our persistence. When we deeply trust God, we can be bold, in ways we won't be with someone we don't trust. What does being bold in prayer say about God? He's trustworthy. What does it say about us? We're desperate, we're acknowledging our need for him. It takes two things for me to knock on my neighbor's door in the middle of the night, like we saw in the parable. Trust in them and acknowledgement of my desperate need. I trust James and Maggie who live down the street from me. Thankfully, I haven't yet been a desperate enough situation to have knocked on their door for help at the middle of the night. But we know our need for God. So let us continually ask him to to strengthen us to live out his ways, to give us our daily bread, to provide for our community. We should always be persistent because we are truly aware of our need for him. Now, I'm kind of a shy and anxious person Like, I get anxious knocking on someone's door. Um, What if they don't answer? It's cold out here. Do the neighbors think I'm weird? Are they listening to what I'm saying on their ring camera? Does the doorbell work? Do they not hear me? Did I knock too loud and annoy them? Did they decide they don't want to be my friend anymore and forgot to tell me? Ah, Okay, maybe all of you don't have that problem. (laughs) But I think it does reveal a common anxiety. We're asking for something and we don't know what the outcome's going to be. Or we don't ask because of fear or anxiety of the answer that we'll get. Or we fear not getting an answer at all. What does it look like to trust God when he hasn't answered our prayers? Whether we're still waiting or we're hurting because didn't, we didn't get what we asked for. It looks like continuing to ask continuing to talk to him, to cry out for him to move. Like I mentioned before, this ask, seek, knock metaphor almost seems to acknowledge the fact that we'll need to keep at it. And that often comes with pain or desperation. If you're in a season of pain, seeking the Lord doesn't have to be eloquent or even to make sense. But don't stop talking to God. Don't stop crying out to him or asking others to pray and believe for you. You're asking a trustworthy God, a good father, a compassionate savior. Seek the Lord for your every need. We've talked about what we are to ask for. So why? Why do we pray? God is trustworthy, and he hears our prayers. Verse 11 says... If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We turn to God in prayer because he is worthy of trust. He is better than any parent at fulfilling the needs of his children. We see Jesus praying to God as his father when teaching us how to pray in Matthew 6, 9. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In 2 Corinthians 1.3-4, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. A good father is worthy of trust, and a good father wants to hear from his children. We ask, seek, and knock because he hears. Psalm 34 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now, I want to take a couple of minutes here to address a question about prayer. What does it mean that God hears our prayers? Do our prayers really change anything? The example in these verses of a parent giving bread when a child asks for it can feel overly simplistic when thinking about a sovereign God who knows all and is all-powerful responds to our prayers in a certain moment in time. How do our prayers and God's will or providence work together? During a question and answer time, someone asked Tim Keller about this. Um, And his response helped me think through this a little bit. He talks about how we see on the one hand how scripture gives examples of someone's prayer having direct impact in changing how history goes. But on the other hand, our prayers seem to have a safety valve on them. Our prayers can't thwart God's plan. Sometimes the answer to prayer comes after we seek him. God's waiting for me to engage in prayer, and if I'm not dependent on him, there's things I'm not ready for. I'm not ready for him to say yes to until I ask and seek him. Sometimes, God moves in the hearts of people praying to act in a way that brings about the change they're praying for. And then we see times where God does not answer in how the people praying wanted because he won't let our prayers change his ultimate plan. And this clip of the question and answer time ends with Keller saying that it's taken many years for him to even get comfortable with prayer. So wrestling with this issue I think is normal and good. This is a complicated topic, but it's helpful for me to step back and see that the Bible doesn't put prayer and providence at odds with each other. God plans both the ends and the means. Our prayers are a part of his means. Prayer changes things and invites us into his plan we can see change in the world and change in our hearts as our wills and desires conform to His. Just like we don't decide not to act because God is sovereign, right? How many of you made yourself breakfast this morning? Ate the food, okay? We don't, we don't decide not to act because God is sovereign. We shouldn't not pray because God is sovereign. How prayer works is a paradox. A mystery, a concept above what our minds can fully comprehend. During his days as a guest lecturer at Calvin Seminary, R.B. Kuyper used the following illustration of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He said, I liken them to two ropes going through two holes into the ceiling and over a pulley above. If I wish to support myself by them, I must cling to them both. Okay, God's sovereignty human responsibility. If I cling to only one and not the other, I go down. How does God's sovereignty connect with my prayers? He goes on to say, with childlike faith, I cling to both ropes, fully confident that in eternity, I will see that both strands of truth are, after all, of one piece. Here on earth, we can't see the pulley above the ceiling, running the single rope through the two holes. We don't know what that looks like. It doesn't fully make sense to our logical brains um, (laughs) with our limited perspective. But with faith, we believe that God in his wisdom uses both his providence and our prayers in tandem. Prayer is so simple in that I can talk to God. He wants me to talk to him and he listens and responds. Yet, there's no equation by which I can control God or force his hand. May we remember that God's sovereignty and our prayers work together. And may that truth lead us to seek God more, to ask for his understanding, to ask him to move rather than drive us to indifference or passivity. So why do we pray? God is trustworthy, he wants to give us good gifts. He hears our prayers and responds even if we can't see or understand. And next, God cares about our daily burdens. Psalm 68, 19 says, blessed be the Lord, day after day he bears our burdens. We should pray continually because he cares about each of our daily burdens. Matthew 10, starting in verse 29, says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God is not so removed from us that he can't focus on or care about our daily burdens. Just like a parent cares when a child has a bad dream, Our friend cares to hear about your stressful day. God cares about each hair on our heads. He cares about the sparrow. Our relationship with the Lord, our trust in Him is deepened when we talk to Him about our daily burdens, whether big or small. It's so simple, yet so easy to miss out on doing. A few weeks ago, I was driving down Mack, running an errand, and I pulled up behind this car. I was a little stressed out, worrying about, literally had worries running through my head. And I see this car, and it just has so many bumper stickers on them. Little, like, I was like, "Ah, that looks cheesy, kind of (laughs) ugly. So I start reading them. (laughs) Don't worry. Pray. Well, okay. (laughs) Now, moments earlier, I had been worrying about something. I pull up to this car, and I'm just... Like, why is their car so cheesy? And oh, like, let go, let God, okay. Uh, don't worry, pray. <laughs> I'm grateful the Lord prompted me <laughs> moments after thinking that to actually listen. I was literally worrying instead of praying. Um, so praise the Lord for those reminders. And let's, um, let's pursue consistent prayer, um, knowing that he cares about each of our worries. We pray because God is trustworthy, he hears us, and he cares. Why else do we pray? Because we have direct access to the Father and what a gift that is. Jesus is our high priest. We don't have to go to a pastor to be able to pray. Because of Christ's redemptive and reconciling work on the cross, the barrier has been broken down. We are privileged to be able to pray to talk directly to God We can go to him when we've sinned or done wrong and know that he will offer us forgiveness and remind us of our new life in him. Why pray? God is able to do what we ask, and he's already given us salvation. We seek the Lord in prayer because he's already given us the greatest gift of redemption. Let's keep an internal perspective in our prayers. Remember that he offers abundant life in him and ask him to help us find our satisfaction in him. And we're thinking about why we pray. Finally, let's remember this. Let God be God, and let us be human. There's great mystery in prayer and how God works in it. Pursue God as you seek to understand that mystery. But as you do that, focus also on what's clear and simple The Lord hears our prayers. Talk to the Lord. Seek the Lord for your every need. Seek the Lord for your every need. Because we need him. Because he's trustworthy. Because he listens. Because he's able. Seek the Lord for your every need. Finally, how do we pray? All right, let's, let's, actually, let's, let's, let's actually do it. We've talked about what we're supposed to ask for and we've talked about why we should ask the Lord for our every need. So in our final point, I want to focus on how we can actually seek the Lord in prayer. Don't let your circumstances keep you from bringing before the Lord what you need and desire. First, we need to admit we are in need. Sometimes we are in deep need of God in evident ways, in pain, etc. Yet we still don't turn to him. But other times we are feeling okay and we fail to acknowledge our need for God because we think we're doing all right. If you are in need physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, ask. There have been a couple times in recent years where I've been deeply hurt and in pain to the point of feeling like I wouldn't ever feel better. And both times, the biggest factor in my healing was when I was gently reminded by fellow believers of the opportunity I had to lay my hurt and pain down at the feet of Jesus. It sounds so simple, but I think the enemy keeps us from the simple things because he knows how powerful they are. In the same way, It's easy to forgo asking God for things. We may not even realize that we haven't actually talked to him. We've desired something, but we haven't brought it before the Lord for his response. Johnny and I had the privilege several weeks ago to have our first foster care placement. We found out with about an hour's notice that they were arriving, and we had the bare basics to care for them, like a place for them to sleep, but not much else. I wasn't really sure what else we needed, but I knew we needed a lot. I made a simple phone call, and within an hour we had toys, clothes, bottles, diapers, and more. It was a beautiful display of Christ's body, this body, at work. Our need was clear, and we trusted that our family would come through for us. Even knowing that, we were overwhelmed by their response. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're in need, ask. If you've been asking, keep asking. He hears you. He loves you. If you want guidance, seek him. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. May we acknowledge our desperate need for him and actively seek him. The psalmist here is acknowledging his deep need for God and is seeking him even as he's desperate and confused. When we need to confess the sins we've committed or have in our own hearts, we can approach him knowing he will forgive us and offer us a path to redemption. We get to be in relationship with God. May we seek him, knowing that time spent in his presence nourishes our souls. Seek him in prayer. Seek him in worship. Seek him in community. You may not always experience nourishment immediately when we try to spend time with him. Talk to him about that. Ask him to show you how you can experience being refreshed by him whether that's through journaling your prayers, praying as you listen to worship music, praying God's word or meditating on God's word, pray as you spend time in nature, praying in a group, don't stop seeking him. If you're doubting, knock. If you have big questions about prayer and how it works, how it influences God, are you asking him about it? If you're like me, you get a little freaked out by doubt. When I start to have questions about God, I get nervous. But doubting God or how he's working is natural. I encourage you to bring those questions to him rather than letting them stay stuck in our own heads. We don't need to be timid in our questions of God. Don't let the anxiety of not knowing how he'll respond to your knocking keep you from doing so. Be persistent. Remind yourself of your dependence on him and his trustworthiness. Seek the Lord for your every need. How often do we spend time wondering how God will respond to our prayers or debate how prayer works? Why don't we ask him? Seek him with your questions. Knock. Be bold. Wait for a response. If you're uncertain, ask God about it. Seek him about it. And come back to what we do know. He is holy, powerful, loving, and listening. He's already given us the greatest gift of life with him. May we ask him to work in us so that we can live out the instructions given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. May we seek him and his kingdom come in our own lives, in our neighborhood, in the world. Let's ask the Lord for our daily provision. Let's look up from ourselves and ask the Lord to work in our community, remembering the needs of those around us. May we pray expectant that he will work, expecting him to work in us, expecting him to use us. May we be ready for him to act, ready and expectant for him to move us. May we remember the deep love the Father has for us. May we remember our total dependence upon him, and may that lead us to him. May we see prayer as our lifeline, whether we are hurt or rejoicing, whether we understand prayer or we don't understand how God uses it. A couple of years ago, we studied the Psalms together as a church family. And during a season of great difficulty in 2020, these lessons taught us how to approach the Lord in a variety of circumstances. So in closing today, I want us to turn to Psalm 27. All right, Psalm 27, we're going to start in verse 4. And as I read this, let's use it as an example for us. Psalm 27, starting in verse 4, it says, One thing I have asked of the Lord. What are you asking the Lord for? One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. you seeking after the Lord, asking to be renewed in him as you worship him? Verse 5 goes on to say, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. When you're desperate, doubting, or in trouble, Don't forget to knock, to persistently ask him to help you. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Let's pray these final verses together as we close.
0: Amen.